Talk to my friend Drew. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. just truly remarkable times that we're living in, I've got to say. Dangerous, yes. Comical uh, in some ways, because that's the only way we can deal with this situation. This is Drew Allen. Welcome to the Drew Allen Show. I am the millennial minister of truth. So we have the leftists, the Democrat Party in this country, those very people on the January 6th committee calling the Supreme Court illegitimate, questioning the legitimacy of that body. And they're doing this, of course, in the aftermath of the Roe v. Wade, overturning of Roe v. Wade, uh, which I'll get to. I know I've been out of it. You know, this is this has happened and taken place since I was last with you all, we'll get to it in a, in, a, in a moment, but while you have the Democratic Party literally inciting a mob, you have the recent episode in which a California man, a Democrat, traveled to Maryland to try and murder Justice Kavanaugh because of the rhetoric from the Democratic Party. They wanted to kill a justice on the Supreme Court, this man, because he was one of the individuals, justices, who is going to vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. You have violence in the streets across America. Who incited that? And meanwhile, this Democratic Party has the audacity, the J6 committee has the audacity to continue moving forward with their kangaroo court, their J6 committee, which is accusing Donald Trump of inciting an insurrection, and they want a criminal conviction. Unprecedented. A, a, a former president of the United States has never been criminally convicted and prosecuted, but that's what the Democrats want. They love the country so much. They want to save the country so much. They care so deeply about democracy that they're willing to destroy it to remain in power. Now, this is hilarious. You know, for days and days... Uh, we heard from the media in the lead up to the star witness, we were told, right? We have a January 6th committee. They're bringing forward a star witness. A star witness is going to testify. This is going to be a bombshell. Now, you know that whenever the Democratic Party promises a bombshell, it's code word for a dud. They have been carpet bombing us with uh, flowers and failures for, you know, six years. Bombshell after bombshell, they promised with Donald Trump, right? Trump-Russia collusion. A bombshell. We're gonna have, we are gonna have a bombshell. They couldn't get it because there was nothing there. Quid pro quo. Bombshell. Nothing. Stormy Daniels. Bombshell. IRS. Tax documents. Bombshell. Michael Avenatti. Bombshell. Bombshell after bombshell. You know, if any of these bombs had been real, we would have had to have built a bunker for ourselves. But as I said, you can be guaranteed that when the Democratic Party promises a bombshell, when they get ahead of the actual event happening and they promise this bombshell, well, it's because they don't have anything. And they are trying to convince you of something that isn't there. And nothing was there yesterday. Now, this witness, by the way, that they brought in turned out to be Amber Heard with brown hair. Now, she was no different than... uh. Christine Blasey Ford. I mean, this is the Juicy Smollett of the J6 Committee's witnesses here. Somebody who you will find out, if you haven't heard already, I'll tell you about it, lied, perjured herself, potentially. But anyway, I, I, I'm going to explain something. I, I, I'm not, this, this isn't out of arrogance, um, but I don't think that you're going to hear what I'm explaining to you today from anyone else, anywhere else. And that's what I'm going to spend the majority of my time doing. And then we'll see what time we have left over because, of course, there is a lot going on. This testimony uh, that I'm going to talk about from this uh, 
aide to Mark Meadows, former aide to Mark Meadows, Donald Trump's chief of staff. Now, this was all by design. This testimony was designed. It was crafted to deliver specific information. This is not an exploratory committee. They're not looking for a crime. They know what crime they want to accuse Donald Trump of having committed. They want a criminal conviction. So all of this is manufactured, carefully created to lead to that conviction. Let me say that again. The Democrats and the J6 committee have created a crime. They have a crime in mind that they want Donald Trump to have committed. And so now they are creating the evidence that they think will get them there. Does that sound dangerous? It is. Does it sound illegal? It is. Does it sound unlawful? It is. Now, they want to prosecute Trump. That is the goal of this. They want to put the guy in a jail cell. Now, Dr. Fauci, no, 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 no jail for him. Hillary Clinton, no, no, she's off the hook. Joe Biden, who's in the office right now, no, 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 no. He is, uh, you know, as pure and clean as the wind-driven snow as they say, right? Even though we know that he just funded uh, his son's escapades via a phone conversation that was recorded that's from Hunter Biden's laptop, well, he paid for his son's hookup with a Russian hooker who was more than likely a spy. He also admitted in a phone conversation, a voicemail he left for Hunter Biden, uh, that he knew about Donald Trump's corrupt business dealings. Even though publicly, on the debate stage and everywhere everywhere else, he was denying it completely. But in the phone call, he says, don't worry, son. I think you're in the clear. The New York Times has a story coming out covering your AWS. So anyway, the Democrats want to prosecute Trump, though. They hate Trump, and they think they've found a way to do it. And it stems to a SCOTUS case. That's a Supreme Court case back in 1969. Now, this case is called Brandenburg versus Ohio. This case dealt with a criminal conviction against this KKK leader. His last name, I guess, was probably Brandenburg. The case is called Brandenburg versus Ohio. Um, the KKK, by the way, um, for the lefties out there, that's a Democrat in white robes, just in case you wanted to know. Sometimes they might have been sheets, but anyway, KKK is synonymous with a Democrat in sheets, white sheets. Now, this Democrat in the white bed sheets had been convicted in the state of Ohio for, I quote, advocating the duty, necessity, or propriety of crime, sabotage, violence, or unlawful methods of terrorism. So Ohio prosecuted him, and they prosecuted him, Brandenburg, after he appeared on uh, numerous films, but on film, he was wearing these, his KKK outfit with other Democrats in the same KK outfit, KKK outfits. And in these videos, he was seen inciting an insurrection of sorts. He gave speeches in some of these films. They were not silent movies. But he gave one speech uh, promising a march on Washington and other places. And he mentioned the possibility of revengeance, Brandenburg called it. And that was if the president continued to suppress the Caucasian race. Now, this Supreme Court, uh, this case went to the Supreme Court and they overturned the conviction because they said that even speech that threatened violence or disorder was protected by the First Amendment. Now, you may be saying, why are the Democrats using a case in which the Supreme Court overturned this? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because in the majority opinion that overturned this particular case, this conviction of the KKK guy who was seen on video seeming to urge violence. Well, in the opinion, they said that speech that threatened violence or disorder was protected by the First Amendment unless unless such advocacy is directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce such action. So this is the one phrase the Democrats and the J6 committee are clinging to with every fiber of their being. All their hope rests in this simple sentence I just read to you. 
So if the Democrats can prove that Trump, that his advocacy was directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action and is likely to incite or produce such, such action, checkmate. They believe that they this will hold up in a court of law. So this opinion, they need to prove what I just told you, and they believe this precedent set by this SCOTUS decision will back up their case. So the first word, imminence. Such advocacy is directed to inciting or producing imminent lawless action. So the Dems say what? The mob was already in place. It was imminent. They marched to the Capitol. So they think they've got, they've got that piece nailed down. It was imminent. They were in place. They were ready to go. They marched to the Capitol, and then they did it. And Trump was speaking to them, right? But, they, but imminence alone is not enough. They need intentionality, and they need likelihood. So to get a criminal indictment of Trump in their wildest dreams and fantasies, they have to prove that Trump both anticipated the violence and intended for it to take place. So here's the dim story, right? And this is what Hutch, she's called, Hutchinson, Cassandra Hutchinson, she was the star witness um, that is... It, that, well, that they, they discovered, they found, they dragged out, they, they coached to give them what they needed. This is the bombshell. So Hutch gave testimony that was meant to prove these things about Trump. So Trump summoned this mob to Washington. That's how the narrative goes. He didn't organize it, right? But he told them to come. And Trump, according to the J6 committee, well, he implied that he wanted mayhem. He wanted violence. Do you know how they know he wanted violence? Because he sent a tweet on December December 19th, 2020. Big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there. Will be wild. Do you realize the links that these psychopaths, these sociopaths, these dangerous individuals are going to, to destroy Donald Trump and indict him. Be there will be wild. Big protest in D.C. on January 6th. That is their evidence that he wanted mayhem. Now, they also have to prove that Trump knew the mob was armed and dangerous. They have to prove that Trump knew They meant business, knew what their intentions were, that he knew they were going to storm the Capitol, that he knew they were going to walk through those open doors and take selfies inside the Capitol, that he knew that those crazily dressed individuals in costumes were going to prop their feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. He had to prove that he knew that was going to happen. So Hutch, as she's called, Hutchinson, Hutch comes in. And she says that Trump wanted armed protesters. Do you know how she knows that? Because Donald Trump asked the Secret Service to let armed people in, told them to get rid of the mags. Mags are, is, is short for those devices that you walk through at an airport or whatever else, right? They detect, they're metal detectors, okay, essentially. Like you walk into a sporting venue, you walk through one. So Trump apparently... You know, he wanted a big crowd there, and he wanted to get rid of these these mags. And they were allowed to bring weapons in. Now, weapons are not guns. Weapons are probably like flags and flagpoles, whatever they, 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 they consider could be used for something, so on and so forth. But anyway, because Trump asked him to get rid of the mags, according to Hutch, well, that's an acknowledgement that Trump knew they were armed. Now, Trump's rationale, even in her explanation of this, is that they were slowing things down. He wanted to get to his speech, and people are going single file through this sucker. And uh, even if we go along with this narrative and lie, look, the the media always um, downplayed Trump's crowd sizes. They always tried to pretend that he wasn't popular. They tried to to act like... Look, I mean, every time there was a gathering, whether it was, uh, you know, his inauguration... You know, they, they were photoshopping, taking things from certain angles to try and pretend like Trump wasn't popular, even though he was. 
So this is a sensitive thing for him. And uh, and Trump wanted that crowd to be big, and he wanted the photo. This is according to her. Wanted that photo to show how big the crowd was. So he didn't want to slow things down. He said, get rid of the mags. And he said, no one here is, no one is here to harm me. And nonetheless, Donald Trump, if you look at him give the speech, he's behind a freaking bulletproof glass or whatever it is. I mean, that covers the entire, I mean, he's in a cage, protected. And by the way, if you look at D.C.'s gun laws, it would have been illegal anyway. But it, it, nonetheless, this, this, is, this is, doesn't matter. But they're using this. So he told them to get rid of the mags and let the people in. So, so for the Democrats, this is what they need in their minds to prove that Trump didn't just know they were armed and dangerous. He wanted them to be. He was told. He said, get rid of the mags. And that's evidence that he knew they were armed and dangerous. And he wanted them to be. Because Trump had a plan, don't you see? A secret off-the-record plan. He was the orchestrator. He was he was the person behind this, like General Lee. He was going to lead this mob after his speech to the Capitol. He was going to be the one to put his feet on Nancy Pelosi's desk. He was going to be the one. So anyway, by the way, every time the committee meets, they continue to isolate Trump's call for the protesters to fight like hell. Now, we have heard worse things from Chuck Schumer about abortion and other people. Uh, We have seen places firebombed. We had the Kavanaugh incident. We have these justices doxxed with their addresses put out there. And uh, Joe Biden, for example, has not condemned anything. He never did speak out, by the way, against the attempted assassin, you know, that tried to kill Kavanaugh. But, you know, whatever. So he said fight like hell. And, of course, this this is the thing they cling to. He told them to fight like hell and march to the Capitol. Now, they, they, they eliminate intentionally his call for them to be peaceful, to, to go and make their voices be peacefully heard or whatever he said. I'll dig it up later if we need to. Because that, of course, Trump saying that they need to be peaceful, which he did, well, that negates their narrative. It destroys it. So they pretend he didn't say it, Right. Now, in order to prove that Trump really wanted this violence to take place, remember, they don't have any text messages or communications or tweets that prove it. It didn't happen. They've already gotten Sean Hannity's cell phone. They've already gotten everybody's text message messages. They've gone through the ringer with all this. They, they have done all kinds of illegal things. I mean, they are subpoenaing people. They are seizing uh, their, their cell phones, their computers, searching for anything. And that's what this has always been about. Under the guise of this witch hunt, this phony Soviet-style circus, court, that's why they're subpoenaing. That's why they're going after phone records because they've been trying to put this narrative together forever. Now, we know this isn't true, but they are intent upon proving it. And so they just want to isolate evidence find anything they can use no matter if it's out of context or anything else to string this narrative together so they gotta find a way to link Trump to the orchestrator as the orchestrator of this fake insurrection so how can they do it well bingo they bring in Hutch and she tells a hearsay story so they gotta prove that Trump planned to lead the insurrection He wanted to be driven to the Capitol meeting, Capitol building. He wanted to be driven to the Capitol building to meet the mob. That's what she says, (coughs) pardon me, in this hearsay story. So apparently, you know, after the speech was over and Trump was, you know, safely back in the West Wing or whatever, she was in an office with uh, Ornato and uh, I, I think it's another guy, I forget his name right now, the head of the Secret Service. And she was told this story, overheard this story. And that is what I just started to tell you. He wanted to be driven to the Capitol building to meet the mob. That's what Trump wanted. He wanted to meet them at the Capitol. He was their general. So Trump gets in the beast, you know, his limousine or SUV. The beast is a limousine. Um, After his speech, and he demands that his driver escort his driver, his escort, whatever, drive him to meet his army, his Confederate soldiers, his white supremacists, don't you know? But the detail, his driver says it's too dangerous. The mob is already taking action. It's out of control. It isn't safe. 
And so Hutch goes on to say that she was told, you know, in this office, they, they said to her, did you hear what the what effing happened? And allegedly what she says, hearsay evidence, well, her driver, his driver, Trump's driver, whoever else was there, they, they, they told Trump they, they had to take him back to the West Wing and that infuriated Trump because he wasn't going to get to meet his, his brown shirts. He wasn't, wasn't going get, to get to meet his Confederate army. And so he was so upset, he said, I'm the president. And then he grabbed the steering wheel from his driver. And then Trump assaulted his driver. Trump's a madman. And the story confirms what the Democrats have been saying, right? See, his own security, this story conveys, they were thwarting Donald Trump's effort to lead the mob. Trump was going to go in the Capitol building himself. He was going to put his feet up on Pelosi's desk, like I said. Trump was going to try and go through that window and take the bullet that hit Ashley Babbitt and killed her. Is any of this believable to anyone? Of course not. How would Trump get from the back seat to the front of there? Usually there's bulletproof stuff. I mean, the way these uh, the beast is configured. You've been in a limousine. He's kind of fat, right? So Trump, heavy Trump, he makes his way from the back of the SUV or the Beast, whatever vehicle it was, and he grabs for the steering wheel. Does this sound like anything Trump would ever do? No. No, this is absolutely concocted BS. And in fact, the person that the Hutch says told her this, the person that was actually in the vehicle... (coughs) They all categorically deny it. They said it didn't happen. They say this story is not true. This woman has no credibility. Hutch is the blazy Ford, the juicy smolier of the J6 committee and this new Trump hoax of inciting an insurrection. 100% BS. They made this up. She made this up. But even if... Trump didn't try to commandeer the vehicle, right? So, so the left will acknowledge, I, this is what's coming. I'm just telling you what to expect because her testimony is already being picked apart. It's just like Blasey Ford. Oh, well, you know, Kavanaugh, he, he raped me at this party. There were three people and there were six people. And yeah, I mean, it was a block from this place. But then when I left, it was suddenly six blocks away. And I don't remember the day, but it was summer and it could have been winter. It was 100 degrees, but it was very cold inside. We were drinking red wine. And then um, when I had a glass of of, uh, of bourbon in my hand, I mean, none of it adds up. And it's amazing that they're capable of getting these these people who are willing to lie like this under oath. And of course, nothing will ever happen, right? What happened to Blazy Four? Did she go to jail for perjuring herself? Did anyone look into it afterwards? No. No, Kavanaugh was confirmed, and that was the end. But, you know, I mean, the Democrats may have unwittingly found their first crime, actual crime, and that would be Hutch lying under oath. But, of course, these stories are hearsay. Hearsay. Um, so the Democrats are going to say... In response to this, I guarantee you, guarantee it, just wait for it. Even if Trump didn't try to commandeer the vehicle, it still shows that Trump knew the mob was armed to march on the Capitol. Now, the last piece. Trump inflamed the mob. He wanted Pence dead. He tweeted while the mob was rioting that Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what was necessary. And that, of course, is evidence of inflaming the mob. And at some point, they're going to have to acknowledge that Trump said peacefully, to peacefully march. And I'll tell you what they're going to do. They're going to say that Trump, the mastermind of this insurrection, well, he was just saying, throwing that line in there to keep people off his trail, right? Plausible deniability. That's what it is. That's what they're going to say. He planned it from the start. And just knew he had to say it. So the stories that Trump incited the mob, Trump wasn't trying to stop it. He wanted it, all while trying to give himself plausible deniability. And 
Of course, no former president has been indicted on criminal charges. Never, ever. But that shows you how far gone the Democrats are, how dangerous they are, how little they care about this country, and how selfish they are and motivated to maintain power and continue to basically destroy the country and reform it in an image that will make them our communist masters and dictators forever. So they'll say, oh, yeah, well, this is this might be a dangerous precedent to set. You know, I mean, yeah, we, you know, this has never happened to a president for good reason. But, you know, it's more dangerous to hold presidents to a lower standard of criminal behavior than regular Americans. They'll say that about Trump, who didn't do anything wrong. But where are they? It, it, you know, Hillary Clinton literally committed committed crimes. She was let off the hook. James Comey said, well, yeah, you know, she, she did something wrong, but we're not going to do anything about it. We have... Um, Barack Obama, who spied on James Rosen, the Fox News reporter, during his administration, spied on AP reporters, which was worse than Watergate. By the way, you've got Brett Baer. Shockingly, this guy needs to fire his producer and get a new one. Because Brett Baer on the air is comparing this to Watergate. Watergate. The Dems... Love Watergate, by the way, because Watergate stands out in their minds still as the one time they were able to mobilize the media via the Washington Post at that time with Bob Woodward and the other writer, the investigative journalists. They were able to get a sitting president to resign from office. They were able to do that through journalism. And ever since then, the Democrats have had great ambitions of getting another Watergate, using the media, using journalism to destroy their political opposition. They are salivating over the fact that they might have another Watergate. Now they don't, but they're blinded by their hatred, blinded by their ambition and their arrogance to destroy a president that they do not like, that they could not control, that they still fear. All right, this is Drew Allen. I'm going to take a short break. I'll be right back. Well, I always enjoyed that song. <clears throat> Growing up in Texas, I like country music. That was Carrie Underwood's Jesus Take the Wheel. Uh, no, that wasn't some arbitrary choice. Nothing on this program is arbitrary. Uh, it is as by design as the J6 committee. Uh, no, I played that song because um, I, I would urge Carrie Underwood, who I don't think listens to me, not yet, uh, to, to, well, make a new number one platinum single. Uh, which would be uh, Trump take the wheel, or Trump took the steering wheel, or please Trump take the steering wheel again, for God's sake. Uh, but anyway, that, that's where that's coming from. Uh, <clears throat> all right, look. I want to clarify a couple of things. One, I think I called her Cassandra Hutchinson. That's, that's, that's not her name. Uh, Hutchinson's correct, but it's Cassidy. Cassidy Hutchinson, not Cassandra. Um. <laughs> you know what's so funny in all this, by the way? You know they're promoting Hillary Clinton as a presidential candidate again. How old is she going to be? How old is she going to be? Is she using, by the way, Nancy Pelosi's plastic surgeon? I saw her. She was on. She just did an interview. Um, and for Hillary Clinton, she looked good with all the makeup and the lights and so on and so forth. I mean, for a corpse, she looks pretty good. She looks better than Nancy Pelosi, I got to say, in this interview. Um, even though when she was running for president in 2016, she couldn't make it up and down the stairs by herself. But nonetheless, sitting in that chair in studio lighting, she looked uh, about as good as Hillary Clinton can possibly look. But she did this interview. Look, I, I was going to play a bunch of audio clips. I'm not going to play any of it. You know, you know why? Selfishly. I don't want to listen to these people. I don't want to listen to them. I'm sorry. So you got to deal with my voice. I know you're really pining to hear Hillary Clinton's 
screeching nails on a chalkboard voice, but uh, I'm not going to give that to you. I'm just going to tell you. Well, she went on CBS Mornings with Gail King. King. Her last name is still King, by the way. Isn't that, isn't that you know, some kind of form of sexism? Shouldn't she change her last name to Gail Queen or something like that? Nonetheless, she was on with Gail King, and she described how she went to, to law school with Clarence Thomas. Now, I believe Clarence Thomas was at least a year ahead of her, but she says that, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas has a chip on his shoulder. She said he's a person of resentment, grievance, anger, and he's been a person of grievance for as long as I've known him, Hillary Clinton said. You think Clinton was hanging out with Thomas in law school? You think those two got along? Now, I don't think... She was too busy reading and writing love notes to Saul Alinsky, who wrote Rules for Radicals, who was the originator of the modern Democratic Party's Marxist-Communist playbook intended to foment revolution, literal violent revolution in America. No, no, no. So she says Clarence Thomas, a black man who overcame racism and went on to become one of the most brilliant minds ever in American history to sit on the Supreme Court. She says that he's a person of resentment. He's been a person of grievance for as long as she's known him. She is describing herself, a woman who still can't let go of the fact that she lost in 2016, a woman who was overlooked by her own party for president because they went with Barack Obama over her. Anyway... What does that even mean, he's a person of grievance? And how does that relate to overturning Roe v. Wade? When is she going to weigh in on the other justices, right? If he's a person of grievance, uh, what does she have to say about Kavanaugh or the others? Gorsuch? Alito? Nobody cares because it's Hillary Clinton and she's brain dead. Uh, All right, so in Hutch's sworn testimony... Look, this is not a credible person. I already pointed out, I talked about the uh, hearsay story. This is a this girl's a nobody, by the way. She was an aide to Mark Meadows. She's looking for fame. By the way, this chick who was out there in her testimony yesterday, Hutch, the Hutch, who's a three out of a ten, by the way. She's not that hot. She's really not. I'm just saying this as a man. She's not. Maybe a two. I don't know. She might be down to a one after showing what a classless hutch that she was. But there's literally a story. This is the thing about the internet. You can find things. There is a story from Bloomberg on, it's from January 14th, 2021, right? So this is after January 6th. And Cassidy Hutchinson was throwing her hat in the ring to work for Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. It's there in the article. So she's so distraught. She was so upset. She was so angry by Donald Trump's reaction. She couldn't stand Donald Trump so much that she applied and was wanting to work for him at Mar-a-Lago. No credibility whatsoever. And Bobby Ingle, by the way, that's the name of the lead Secret Service agent on January 6th. And he and the SUV driver, so it wasn't the uh, the beast as we know it, the limousine, the presidential limousine. Trump was in the in an SUV, and Hutch claims she overheard, um, Ornato, another person in the administration who told her the story of Donald Trump being so upset that he wasn't able to lead his minions uh, to victory. Uh, you know, hanging Mike Pence and putting his feet on Nancy Pelosi's desk that he, you know, well, anyway, he tried to grab the steering wheel. Well, guess what? The SUV driver, the person that Hutch is claiming was obviously the one who would have told this story. Well, the person who was driving the SUV is saying that's that never happened. So Donald Trump got his you know, overweight body, up, out of his seat in the back, reached over and assaulted the SUV driver, and the SUV driver says, no, that never happened. 
And so anyway, the other person saying this never happened is Bobby Ingle, who was the lead Secret Service agent. And so he and the SUV driver are prepared to testify under oath that Trump never lunged for the steering wheel. So this woman has no credibility. Furthermore, uh, the other thing that she perjured herself on, she claimed, and uh, she was going back and forth. You know who was leading this, by the way? It was none other than, um, what's that disgrace? Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney. So Liz Cheney, so they, they put up a note on this screen that was written. And it had a few words scrawled on it. One of the words was illegal. So they wanted Trump to give a press conference to come out and condemn what was happening, right? And so Hutch, in this interview, Liz Cheney puts a note up on the, the, the screen. And the note is written on, I believe it's, it's Mark Meadows, you know, official parchment or whatever there. And Liz Cheney says, that's your handwriting. She says, yes, it is. I wrote that note. Now, this is a lowly aide to Mark Meadows. She doesn't have any influence in terms of President Trump. I, I doubt she's ever even had a conversation with Donald Trump. She's an aide to his chief of staff. This is not an important person in the administration. She's lucky Trump probably wouldn't even have remembered her name until this. But, you know, this is the kind of thing. It's like Blasey Ford. Who? Who? Oh, yeah, I kind of remember her. She was a nobody. Nobody. But anyway, um, a, a former White House lawyer has come out after this testimony, Hutch's testimony, Eric Hirschman, and he says, it's not true that she wrote that letter. Do you know why? Because he's the one who wrote it. This Hutch girl needs to be investigated. She tried to go to Mar-a-Lago after, after January 6th happened to work for Trump. What's her deal? Is she unhappy? Mad? Looking for revenge? Did I wonder if she tried to be Trump's Monica Lewinsky and he shot her advances down because Melania is way hotter, let's face it. Anyway, I have to wonder though, there's a couple questions. I mean, is this a setup? Is the Democratic Party so stupid and desperate that they would put a woman on the stand that they know? I mean, how could they not know in advance that this stuff didn't happen? They could have gone to the Secret Service. They could have gone to Bobby Engel. They could have gone to the SUV driver, of course, and tried to corroborate the story. But none of this was corroborated. It's just printed and told. But you know what this is about? It doesn't matter if it's true or not. It doesn't matter if this girl, Hutch, perjured herself. Uh, the Dems don't care if it's true, and neither does their base. All that matters is they hate Trump, and this proves more reason to hate Trump. This is, this is hands up, don't shoot. Michael Brown. You know, they lied about what happened with Michael Brown. They said he was shot, you know, in the back by the cop. You know, he was this guy who was off to school, this black man, young man, 18 or so. And it turns out that Michael Brown didn't have his hands up. He wasn't being arrested. He was shot in self-defense by a cop because he punched and assaulted a cop through the window on the driver's side where the cop was sitting and tried to take the cop's gun from him. But hands up, don't shoot. Democrats still believe it. And even if they don't believe it, they say, well, it doesn't matter because it's still a great story. It's still true because, you know, there's systemic racism. So who cares if what happened to Michael Brown didn't happen to Michael Brown? It's a great allegory, a metaphor. It's fiction, but it's mythology that represents something that's true. And that's what they'll say here. Trump is an orange man. He's a monkey. We hate him. I can say that he's a monkey, right? That's what they say. He's white, so that's not racist. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, so even if it's not true, it's a fake story. It still shows and proves that Trump is a terrible, terrible person. Terrible, terrible person. Um, anyway, that's what's going on. The clown show continues. And you know what happened today, too. Um, what's that gal's name? The person who assisted in... Uh, I shouldn't do this right now because my brain can't think of the guy's name. Um, uh, Ghislaine, 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 what I, I don't even know how to pronounce her first name right now, to be honest. She hasn't really been in front of mind. 
Ghislaine Maxwell. Well, she was sentenced to 20 years in prison today. You didn't hear about that, did you? And we'll never hear about that, right? Imagine if uh, we were allowed in the room, that courtroom, like the J6 committee, being publicly televised for all of us to see. They publicly televise things that never happened, that are fake, that are witch hunts. But, you know, Ghislaine Maxwell, you know, that probably would have indicted Bill Clinton and a lot of those Democrats in the room who went off on uh, the Lolita Express to uh, bang underage girls and prostitutes. But, you know, we're not allowed in that courtroom. And they sealed those documents and they're keeping it from the public. Kind of like how this January 6th, Witch hunt has been conducted behind closed doors without any opposition, right? As they formulated this story. But I want to get into something else. So, well, a couple things here. One, very, very exciting news. So this is the 100th episode of the Drew Allen Show. That's right. You and I have been together now for 100 episodes. A centennial celebration, if you will. And, um, whatever. I mean, it's cool. It's a, it's, it's a mark. I'm happy. I'm happy. Happy to have done it. And uh, so I'm going to play a clip here. You know, something else happened over the last couple of days that we need to talk about. And that is uh, 50, 51. I don't know if the count's gone up since then. It was 50 or 51. Illegal immigrants were found dead on the border. They were in a truck. Uh, They had been smuggled across the border. They were left there. It's hot. And they died. They died. Now, I was on a show, the Mark Schaffline Report. Those people are very ambitious. They're blowing up this program, and they're trying to expand. And I am fortunate enough to be a part of that expansion to some extent. Now, uh, I've been going on that show as a political analyst for some time here and there. And um, I got a phone call the other day from the producer of that show, and obviously the host they talked and well, what do you know? They like me. They like me. They, they, they like what I have to say. And, and they said, I'm just leveling with you. They told me that they get great responses when I'm on and I uh, am speaking to the audience that they want to capture. And so for whatever reason that's out of my control, I do the same thing on that show I do behind this microphone. Um, but they like what I have to say and they're getting a good response. So I will be going on there twice a month. It'll be a regular thing now. It won't be here and there. It's set. I've got a schedule of appearances I'm going to make. It's going to be on Tuesdays, every other Tuesday. It's the Mark Schaffline Report. It goes for about 30 to 40 minutes, and we talk about the issues back and forth. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity. And I mention that because today was the first, or yesterday now, was the uh, uh, first of my regular appearances And we talked about what happened at the border. And I want to just play for you a clip of our conversation. Uh, He asked me, you know, look, look, we talk about this being on Biden hands. He prompts me with the the question, you know, uh, well, basically just asked me to wax poetic about my opinion and what took place. So I'm going to play that for you uh, since I already discussed it yesterday on the shaft line report all right here we go yeah i want to make a point and that is um how the left and the democratic party responds to certain uh deaths right i mean essentially these um 50 individuals were murdered i mean they were left uh, mm-hmm. uh to die locked up essentially in this truck by the smugglers ostensibly um so 50 people are dead as a result of that now when it comes to um, mass shootings, all right, if you want to look at Uvalde, for example, uh, a murderer used a, a gun to kill uh, precious, innocent children and, and two teachers, right? It was 22 people, I believe, that were killed. Well, here you have 50 people dead. Now, the response from the left in terms of Uvalde and mass shootings is, hey, we have got to do something to prevent these deaths and murders. We have to do it. And so they force through legislation, right? I mean, it's misguided. It's not going to accomplish the objective. But my point is they demand action. When it comes to 50 dead illegal immigrants at the border, what is the response? Well, this happens. It's unfortunate. You know, it was inevitable, essentially, is the way they look at it. They're not interested in 
solving this. And and, and look, I mean, I don't want to sound like some some parent because everyone's made the obvious point, which is this is on the Biden administration's hands. It's absolutely true. These people uh, were smuggled here because of the policies of the Biden administration. As of May this year, 1.5 million illegal immigrants have been apprehended. That does not include those who got away. Right. The message to everyone out there in Guatemala, in Mexico, Honduras, wherever they're coming from, Haiti, is the border is open. Come on in. And they have not been secretive about it. They understand this and they could stop this. And they've been warned for month after month after month after month by border border patrol officers uh, 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 to do something. And they've done nothing. And so this was preventable. And it is on the Biden administration's hands. And they do not care. And we certainly went on to talk about an, uh, an array of other issues. Um, but there you have, you know, uh, my perspective on what happened at the border. And, and, and that's the point here. You, you know, the, the Democratic Party does not have the best interest of the United States at heart. They have, that, 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 that is not their concern. They try to hide. They evade responsibility. They try to distract the American public from their failures while they have no intention of changing course because it is by design and intent to hurt the American people to create a situation in which they can force transformation. You know, with it with Uvalde, that was an opportunity for them. Uh, they weren't upset. They were ecstatic. And I, I know that seems like harsh words to say. Drew, you can't say that, but they, they are. Never let a crisis go to waste. That's how they view it. They get excited by these things because it helps give them ammunition or some kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, an event to take advantage of to push their agenda forward. So with the, if it's gun control, anytime a gun is used to, to bring about violence, well, they blow it up and they demand action. When it came to what happened at the border, they're silent on it. It's just inevitable. It's not their fault, right? Inflation, that's not their fault. The sinking economy, not their fault. And they lie. They lie. I mean, with the abortion thing, uh, I'll get into this more uh, tomorrow, okay? Um, I'm, I will come back and we'll discuss some of these other issues. I think the January 6th thing was important to talk about, and, and we went through a lot of it. And if there are updates tomorrow, I'll update you on it. But, but you, you know, you don't even really need me to update you on January 6th because it's been about the same thing from the beginning. It's just more of the same. It's a distraction. It's a way to destroy their political opposition. Um, you know, and, and none of it took place. It's just a bunch of lies. It's a clown show. That's why I started the show with that clown theme. But, um, it, it, you know, the, the good news is that we're, we're fighting back. You know, if you look at the Supreme Court cases, uh, we started with, with overturning that law, that century-year-old law in New York, uh, which basically made it impossible to obtain a concealed carry. Um, they overturned that, the Supreme Court did. Then they went to Roe v. Wade. They overturned that. And here's the thing. I talked to countless Democrats, and they all I, I asked them, what does it mean that they overturned Roe v. Wade? And every single one of them, without exception, told me that it made abortion illegal. That's not what it did. You know, we, we have a constitutional system that we have to uphold. And regardless of your opinion about abortion, it's a state's rights issue. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Constitution. And I had an article out, and, and my question was, is abortion the issue that could bring about our next civil war? You know, four years or so before the civil war started, the Supreme Court ruled, uh, you know, there was the Dred Scott v. Sanderson case. And in that case, they ruled, the majority ruled that black people in this country were not could not become American citizens. They were not American c citizens, would never become American citizens because they were inferior. 
And that is the moment that accelerated us towards the inevitable conflict of our civil war, which had, had basically been in the works since our founding. And the northern delegates at the time, the northern states, they wanted to arrest its spread, and the southern states wanted to continue to expand it in all 50 states. So this, the, the, the northern delegates that were anti-slave, they tried to peacefully resolve it on countless occasions. I mean, you had the, the Missouri Compromise, for example. That was where they allowed Missouri to enter the Union as a state, as a slave state, in exchange for Maine. And then they also agreed to outlaw slavery, you know, north of a certain latitude in the rest of the Louisiana territory from the Louisiana Purchase. But even before that, the North had tried to deal with the situation, the three-fifths compromise that nobody understands. The left, of course, which bastardizes history, which doesn't understand history, claims that the three-fifths compromise is evidence that of our racism. We viewed blacks as three-fifths of people. That's not what that was about at all. The Northern delegates met with the Southern delegates, and it was about representation, about power, political power, right? The South wanted to count, even though the South, the Southern states did not view blacks as human beings, much less American citizens, they wanted to count them (coughs) in the census for representation in the House of Representatives, for apportionment, right? And so the Northern states, they were trying to encourage the abandonment, (coughs) I'm sorry, Um, you know, and and into slavery. And so they didn't want to count any of the slaves towards apportionment. So they wouldn't be counted as, as in the census. Because remember, the House, you know, every state has a certain number of representatives and it's based on population size. So in order to try and limit the power of the southern slave states, the North wanted to count its blacks towards apportionment because they were free states and didn't want to include these slaves. And by doing so, they were going to punish the South for slavery and encourage them to have more free blacks who could be included to give them political power. And so the South threatened to walk away. So the three-fifths compromise is what came about. The Northern free slaves, I mean... (laughs) Well, yeah, some of them were freed slaves, but in the North, blacks who were considered citizens uh, were counted as as whole people um, for the purposes of of apportionment. And uh, the Southern slaves were counted as three-fifths to limit the political power that the South would have. And so they tried and tried. And then Dred Scott, what that decision did, it actually ruled that the Missouri Compromise even was not constitutional. Basically, it said that the the Congress had no right to abolish slavery. And so that's what hurried that inevitable conclusion. And, you know, Abraham Lincoln was, was correct. He said that either, you know, the anti-slave, the North, northern states that oppose slavery, they will arrest its spread further, or the southern states are going to expand slavery until it encompasses all the states. And that's the reaction I'm seeing from the left with abortion. They're not happy to allow red states to do their own thing and they can have abortion up until, you know, birth in California or New York or one of the leftist states. They're not happy with that. They're not content with that. And at the end of the day, abortion is not in the Constitution, just like slavery was not in the Constitution. But they invented it because they wanted it. And that's what Roe v. Wade was. It was bad legal precedent, just like Dred Scott was. Dred Scott went outside the Constitution. You had a bunch of pro-slavery justices on the Supreme Court at the time who wanted slavery to exist, so they made it be. But they couldn't find that in the Constitution. We the people. It doesn't say we the white people. And we know the views of the Founding Fathers most of them wanted to get rid of slavery, but but couldn't do it at the time because they wanted to create a country and they couldn't do it if they were going to take that fight on then. 
So they ignored all that, and they, they ruled outside of the Constitution. And the same thing with Roe v. Wade. You had a bunch of people. By the way, it was 7-2. Seven, seven justices out of nine ruled in favor of slavery in Dred Scott, and seven out of nine on Roe v. Wade ruled that, you know, a woman had a, a constitutional right to abortion. It wasn't in the Constitution. It was a state's rights issue all along. And that's all this overturn of Roe v. Wade did. It left it up to the states so states can determine their own abortion laws. And what we're seeing, though, out of this is the reaction from the left is that they, they, they do not respect human life at all. And this movement was never about women's rights at all. Women have the right to choose to engage in sexual behavior that leads to pregnancy. That's their decision. No one's forcing them to get pregnant. And pretty much everyone makes exceptions for incest or rape and things like that, or if it's a risk, if the mother's life is at risk. But that's a human being. And it becomes a spiritual fight as well. But that's a conversation, you know, for maybe the next episode. I mean, this isn't going away, so we'll talk about it. But my point is you've had all these decisions that are constitutional. You have a a coach that I mentioned a couple episodes ago that was fired for praying after uh, uh, after football games. And it became a thing where his own uh, players and players from opposing teams would join him at the half, at the midfield, the half line, after games to pray. And they said he couldn't do that. And the Supreme Court said, yes, he can. You can have your dream job and you can have your faith too. And so we, we've seen this country attack for so long. And I guess to get back to the abortion thing for just one moment to finish that thought, you know, the abortion advocates, the pro-abortion folks out there, they're not willing to allow red states to be red states and blue states to be blue states. You know, with slavery, it was the North and the South anti-slavery and pro-slavery, now it's pro-abortion and pro-life. And they're out there rioting and protesting, and it's becoming clear what this is about. Forcing their opinion down the throats of every American citizen in this country. I don't know, I don't want civil war, but I'm just saying there are a lot of similarities. A lot of similarities. The left is talking about that word those words, civil war. So I just asked the question. It's a similar thing because there's no compromise there. And then it gets into the moral moral issue. But nonetheless, this this coach, this is a Supreme Court ruled that he can, he can pray. <coughs> Absolutely right. So there are a lot of victories to be proud of. And I, I think that, you know, in, in one way, in one respect, I would suggest that while we've made some progress, right? I mean, the abolishment of slavery certainly was towards a more perfect union. And so was, uh, of course, the Civil Rights Movement that Congress passed legislation, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 that outlawed discrimination based on race, sex, uh, gender, religion. Those were good things, but there have been a lot of bad things, too. You had the New Deal under FDR, Social Security, that fundamentally changed the relationship between the citizen and the government and made the government master and the citizen servant taught the American citizen that the government's role was to provide for them, taught the American citizen that they were too stupid to save their own money. They had to tax and steal our money and put in a social security fund that never existed. It was a slush fund, IOUs. That's what that did. And so in one one respect, I'd argue that today, uh, we've actually never been further from the vision of the founding fathers. You know, there are 33 amendments in the Constitution. The fact that the amendment process even exists is an acknowledgement that the Founding Fathers wanted us to be able to improve upon what they gave us. And they knew it was going to be needed. But it's been a long time since an actual amendment was passed. The federal government doesn't want to go through that process. The Democrat Party doesn't want to go through the amendment process. They want what they want right now, and they don't care about the law. With Roe v. Wade, 
I mean, they're talking about using federal land to set up abortion clinics. They're openly defiant. They're calling the Supreme Court illegitimate. And so screw these Democrats in the January 6th committee who are trying to get a criminal prosecution of Trump for inciting an insurrection. These people have been inciting insurrections and going against the Constitution for decades upon decades now. But there's a reckoning coming and it's here. And the Supreme Court has made these big moves and big decisions that are finally rebuking all of the unconstitutionality and lawlessness of the left. Even that New York City or New York State restrictive gun measure law that didn't basically give anybody a concealed carry permit, overturning that, that was 100 years old. So that's how long this has been going on, this kind of behavior. So anyway, just wanted to make those points. We're fighting back. We've got to keep fighting back. But like I said, I'll try and be back with you uh, tomorrow here to cover some other news that I want to get into. Hillary Clinton (laughs) claims she's going to run for president. That's what the Chris Salitza at CNN who, uh, they're putting it out there now. I'm just telling you. They're literally putting it out there again, trying to make a, a case for Hillary Clinton to run for president in 2024. Which tells you, one, they know Joe Biden ain't running. And two, how desperate they are and how desperate Hillary Clinton is. Accusing Clarence Thomas of being a man of grievance. Oh, boy. All right, this is Drew Allen. God bless you all. Until next time.